Greetings from the dark side of the moon. How is it where you are? Well, I don't hear anything. Have you unmuted yourself yet? Hello, have you unmuted yourself yet? Hello. Hello. Yes, greetings from the dark side of the moon. Where, where have you been? I actually already, I mean, I've been talking to you like for five minutes and then I understood that you couldn't hear me. Yeah, I, I, I was going to tell you that it's not really the dark side. Uh, it, it's not exactly the bright one, but look at the bright side. It's a far side. <laughs> It's a yes. far side. I don't know who who called it the dark side, uh, or maybe it's just you and me. But I, I remember the quote "far side." I don't know why far. Probably because well, you know, there's a, there's a comic strip that's called the Far Side. You know, like hmm. there's Peanuts comic strip, Charlie Brown, and all that, and there's all kinds of, you know, comic strips. And but there's an uh, another series called the Far Side, but. Uh, I was going right. to say that, that some some very interesting synchronistic things happened today. I was I was we're going to read an, uh, a story and we welcome our, our listeners back. I mean, we, we welcome ourselves back. Welcome back. But uh, I was in a coffee shop and I was waiting for somebody to meet me. And I was talking about this friend of mine back in Houston, who uh, she was kind of kind of suspicious about politics and was wondering if perhaps, uh, you know, Obama was the Antichrist because he had a little bit pointed ears. And I said, you know, he did, you know, he, he went to Harvard. And then this friend of mine said, well, you know, did he even graduate? Have you seen his diploma? I said, you know, he's the president of the United States. And then some other young lady was standing next to me and she goes like, there's just so many like right wing conservatives out there. And then the fellow who was ringing up the order for the coffee, he said a cuss word like, oh, blop, blop. Guess what your coffee order cost? He goes six six six. Yeah, I this premonition, not exactly premonition, superstition about triple six. I uh, I don't know what comes from either. I uh, I always ask myself, well, what's that got to do with uh, uh, with what well, we associate normally? But uh, I don't. I didn't look it up. You know. Well, it comes from Revelations. It's from uh, uh, one of the books of the Bible about how, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, we were once one, you know, with God, and then God decided to let us have, well, the, the devil, or, you know, or the Antichrist, or whatever you want to call him, evil, decided that uh, they w wanted to tempt the world. So God gave man and women gave man free will and gave the devil permission to tempt his people. And so the gift of free will allows us as human beings to choose good or bad, evil, you know, life or death. So uh, in the uh, 
Well, apocalypse means the end of the world. Like there's the zombie apocalypse. There's all kinds of like apocalypse stuff going on. But in the, the books, books of the Bible, one of the books is uh, Revelations. And it talks about the coming, about how near the end of the world, the Antichrist, the, the evil one will appear and he will be doing these different things. So some people that correlate wars in the Middle East and like political e leaders that have pointed ears, these people take very literally the fact that, you know, possibly Obama was the Antichrist. I just think he was a guy who went to Harvard and had a very nice wife and, you know, has some nice daughters and they, they even had a dog. But uh, yeah, the 666 stuff comes from the book of Revelations. And uh, so anyhow, uh, yeah, just uh, I, I I was thinking that the book of Revelation originally were written uh, either Hebrew or ancient ancient Greek, and it was letters in it instead of Arabic numbers uh, uh, we're using currently six one six or triple six. It's strange, by the way. We were using Arabic numbers like it was uh, like it's always been. Uh, and yeah, the, yeah, well, first of all, you know the 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 word of the bible like you know catholics tend to follow new american bible and like methodists have their bible everybody's got their different bible even thomas jefferson had a bible he took all the references to spirituality out and just left you know the secular wisdom but the actual books the books of the bible were spoken to people who received the word of god and then they wrote it down so let's suppose God's speaking to you and you write stuff down and you say, hey, I think God told me this stuff. And then you submit it to different authorities. And they say, yeah, he, he probably was speaking to you. And then this will be the, the book of Roman. So the word came down to individuals. And uh, later, I, th I think uh, some of the original stuff was Aramaic. Yeah. And 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 then later uh it was translated into greek and then after greek it was translated into this and blah 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 there's like bible studies colleges here in dallas where people are like you know busily reading and studying and translating translating the bible yeah i also i remember that story i read somewhere that emperor the roman emperor uh, the most vicious i think nero his name was nero yeah he was uh like hated by Roman Christians for a very long time because uh, he persecuted everyone in mid-first century Rome. And somehow well, his name translated into Hebrew as triple six. Well, the other thing about, uh, one of the things that is not so great about that guy is that while Rome was burning, he had a big party and he was fiddling and he was having like an orgy and there were women and drinking and songs. So if let's suppose that he's a ruler and while his city, he's supposed to be a ruler. Generally, I would say is supposed to be a benevolent ruler and do good things for the city or the country or the state or whatever. But, but uh, this fel fellow, uh, yeah. the city of Rome was burning. And while his city was burning, he was busy eating, drinking and being merry. And, uh, and then some other people came after him and said like, you know, he was not such a really good guy. Maybe, maybe he was the Antichrist. Like people, you know, some people say that Trump is, and some people say that Obama was, and some people say that, you know, Netanyahu was, and like, 
I don't know. I remember, I remember when I was reading Anna Karenina, there was a line in it that Anna Karenina had a book in her hands and she uh, read it. And she thought, why should I read uh, about this or that, I don't know, person? Uh, why should I be interested in, uh, like we're talking about Obama right now or whoever. And why do we, like, why would we have this interest in other person's life when they, they have no idea what you exist? And uh, other politicians, I mean, uh, we, 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 we discuss them, we decide who gets to be the, the good one or bad one. But that's, that's so strange because that's so irrelevant to them and to us and uh, not really irrelevant, but uh, maybe we should be, should be more self-centered uh, instead of uh, um, being brainwashed. Be more self-centered? <laughs> you know Excuse I mean. me, did you just say be more self-centered? Excuse me, remember yeah. how I called you once a narcissistic, what did I call you? Uh, narcissistic. Not, yeah, <laughs> narcissistic egomaniac. Yeah, maybe I put the F word in there too. Okay, mm -hmm. well, you know, anyhow, these classics, you know, Anna Karenina or War and Peace or All Other Shares de Tom Perdue or 100 Years of Solitude or, or different books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, the, the Torah, the Quran, all these books have some wisdom in them we as human beings have to pick through it and find what's the truth and what's not the truth. What do you say uh, about that? Yeah, I I thought that there is truth and there's lies, but then I thought when the, the older I get, I understand that everything's relevant. I, I'm becoming some sort of Einstein, Einstein follower, because I guess it's the idea of relativity is his. I'm not sure if it's applicable to what I'm trying to say, but everything is relevant. There is no black and white, for instance. There's lots of gray in it, right? Yes, and I always found it fascinating when I first learned about the theory of relativity that if you're standing on the platform and you see a train moving, or if you're on the train seated, you see different things. Or if you're standing up on the top of a building with a sniper crossfire on a rifle, depending on where you're standing, alters the frame of what you see. And to me, that mm -hmm. was like a huge breakthrough in my understanding of the world that, that there isn't, I mean, there are certain core truths, but all these, you know, shades of gray stuff it, it kind of depends on where you are. Like, I'm, I'm sure that, like, for me, some things that I thought were true when I was 21 kind of changed by the time I was 31, and then by the time I was 41. And then, yeah, I'm, I, I sometimes wonder, uh, I wonder what's coming next. I'm, I'm, I'm a slightly fearful about the future. How do you feel well, about well, the future? I guess that's normal, I guess that's normal right? Because people want to be uh, clear, want to have this clear understanding of what's going on, what's happening. But that's never, I mean, that's not possible. But that is not right. That wouldn't be right if you, if you have it written down in front of you and you'd know what would happen tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. That wouldn't but be, you know, that would be even worse. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, if you think back to... Yeah. If you think back to one or two generations ago, like the time of your grandparents or the time of your parents or the time of your great-great-grandparents, just two generations ago, two generations ago, my mother's mother, 
She was a society lady. She never drove a car. Her husband bought her the house before they moved into it. Uh, he would drive her to the beauty shop where she would get her hair done and her nails done. He would take her out dancing. Uh, he had a car. He visited his sisters on Sunday. These were like old school Italian Catholics in San Antonio. And I, I grew up with the influence of what I called old world manners, like politeness, reciprocity, doing the right thing. Then the next generation was my mother and father. My father took my mother all over the world because he was a military man and I saw all kinds of things. And then I'm in my own generation now, but I'm just saying, think back to what the world was like for you as a little boy growing up in your family. Isn't it a little different right now? It is, but I sort of welcome it because if you're a believer, I don't, not that I'm a church person or I, I believe in God, like there is no tomorrow. No, I, I, but somehow inside of me, deep inside of me, I, I have this faith, I don't know, belief in, in whatever happens that uh, if, if I put God first, I, I have nothing to fear. Some, I don't, can't explain it, but uh no, no, that's really, really good because, you know, I think we've talked about this early in some of our episodes of where do good and evil come from, you know, uh, sacrament of the present moment. If people go back and look at some of the early episodes of Petroma Therapy, I, I, I believe in the original goodness of, of man or men and women and that we, we were born into a metaphorical garden you know, we had food and we had shelter and we had people that loved us. And then as we grow up, we have different temptations at school when we're a little boy or girl. And then as we are adolescents or when we go off to college. But somehow, like spirituality, I think that spirituality exists in the natives in the jungle. They exist with the llamas, you know, Dalai Lama type guys up on the mountains. They exist you know, with Methodists, with Orthodox Jews, like spirituality is part of being a human being. Now, religion is, is what people do to it. Like, oh, we're going to hold our hands like this. No, we have to say this. No, we have to go into this church. No, we have to go to the mosque. So I think what you're talking about is it, that you have, you have a moral compass and that, that you have some spiritual life even though you're not in a building? I don't know. I, I don't really know. I can't explain it, even though I'm not a good talker. Like, there are people who talk and you listen to them and, oh, my, I mean, they speak so good. And how can they, I mean, how can they do that? N no, but I just more with, I just know that if you put, God for, if you ask me what advice would you give to your children uh, or to future generation, I'd say put God first. Uh, but then again, if I say what, what I say, when I say God, maybe that's not exactly what you mean when you say God. Uh, also, I suppose, or I presume that we talk about the same thing. So uh, again, it's relative to what well, you, you know, think. Some, pe some, some people think of God as a patriarchal, like God the Father, he's up in heaven, he has a beard. You know, he's got St. Peter at the door with his you know, keys. 
And then some people think of the Earth Mother, or they think of a divine spiritual presence that fuses. Yeah, yeah. My my point exactly. So spirituality is in sort of an umbrella, umbrella world, and uh, within it there are a wide range of beliefs and practices and notions uh, that can personally help you or me seek purpose in life and to connect to something beyond ourselves. Right. Yeah, I I agree. There's a there's a poem that we probably talked about uh, at some point in time uh, in Patroma therapy. It's it's by Gerard Manley Hopkins, and uh, he was a Jesuit priest, and it's called uh, God's Grandeur, and um, it was it was written. I believe in the 19th century, and it's not very long. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. So this first stanza is about the Industrial Revolution and how it it hit, like put factories and pollution and everything. And then his conclusion is the last stanza. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down in things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and, ah, bright wings. See, so when you you read these lines, you're sort of... uh... It speaks to you, and you. I think you're seeking spirit, and you're creating along those lines something for yourself, the meaning or purpose or, or, or value. I don't know. You find value in these lines in this poem, and uh, but sometimes you know we all have uh, these like days when we are depressed, right? And we are depressed that we lack spirit. We need it, but we don't have it. So we have we questioned whether our life has any meaning or purpose or value, uh, and then. Uh, uh, but I think, yeah, well, I, guess I, think... Normal. I guess that's normal because that's what makes us seek uh, spirit and, and create again. Uh, maybe that's well, you know you works. had a favorite poem that you have read before uh, that was written by John Clare and it was probably written yeah. around the same the same time. He was actually an English poet and he. He celebrated the English countryside and, uh, you know, he kind of had a, you know, he was born in 1893. So the beginning of the 18th century, he died in the mid 19th century. But what was the name of his poem that you liked? I Am. I am. I guess, yeah, I guess it was I Am. And he, it was, a, I mean, his was a tragic fate. I, uh, I, I told you that I've, I come across it watching the well, watching the TV series called Penny Dreadful, and uh, yes, I liked it a lot. And uh, yeah, that that's where I know it's from. And he had this uh, uh, tragic fate. He, I guess, he was in in, in uh, what's that called? Mental 
institution. Uh, he was put into mental institution, I guess. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know. But then again, if you're crazy, how can you create such beautiful poem, right? Well, you know, poetry is an altered state of reality. Like some people take drugs for an altered state of reality, and some people are into sex for an altered state of reality, and some people are into drinking for an altered state of reality, or some people like to go listen to music. So I think that poetry is a, like most of the poets are pretty like wacky, zany people. If you look into the lives of the poets and the writers, like you have to be kind of deep to write, write, uh, write poetry. And you know, life is full of a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he was, he was in a, in a, in a, in a mental asylum, but, the thing is, he had some depression, and also it got worse. I'm looking at a biography of him right now online. It said it got worse after his sixth child was born. So mm -hmm. we're living in the year 2023, and I had two children, and I would say that it's expensive to have two children. You know, like you got school, you got clothes, you got shoes. Imagine that you're just a laborer, you just work on a farm, and you've got six kids. That'd make me depressed. Well, what do you mean expensive? That uh, when, I, when, when someone says, well, it's expensive to have kids these days, I understand that maybe they would like to have a Mercedes, for instance, or like luxurious apartment in Manhattan, for instance. But sure. the kid is, they have to invest everything in a kid that they think, well, uh, if, he, if it hadn't been for him, I would have be able, I'd be able to buy this, uh, I don't know, mansion or apartment or flat in Manhattan. But I think well, it's bullshit. Yeah. I think that's all bullshit because uh, having a kid, it means that you um, sort of uh, transcended that, that animal urge or I don't know, whatever it is that keeps people blind. Uh, uh, and... The animal urge? <laughs> just a second. Well, okay, I'm just going to just back up a second. I'm just going to say that at that time, around the Industrial Revolution, you know, women did, were not generally educated. The ministers were men. The teachers were men. You know, basically women had a second-class existence. And so this fellow... Also, birth control wasn't much, <clears throat> wasn't really invented until Margaret Sanger in the, like the 1920s. But this guy, he's had, he got even worse. He had seven children and he was trying to support his wife and seven children. And then it says his alcohol consumption steadily increased. Have you ever noticed that you sometimes drink when you're anxious or nervous? Uh, no, no, I, I never shrink when I when I'm nervous. I, I yes, you do drink. <laughs> yeah, no, what uh, I mean is sometimes a drink I, takes I, the I'm edge thinking, off the day. I'm thinking, why are women second-class citizens? You you told me that uh, like hundred years ago. Because women had no control of their body until you can control 
you know, if you think of the fertile ages of, of a woman, you know, my mother had six children and two miscarriages, you know, uh, other people, you know, like, unless a woman has control of her body, you can't do anything other than just keep birthing babies. You can't study, you can't do anything. And so until women can have control of their bodies, then then they can become teachers, then they could become, you know, ministers, then they could run a printing press, then they could write a poem. So what I mean by second class citizen, like Jean-Paul Sartre's, you know, lover, Simone de Beauvoir wrote a book called The Second Sex. And, you know, just just the basic idea is that it is it was, is, and will be a man's world. It's We live in a man's world. And only now, you know, a woman has to work twice as hard to make the same, not even make the same salary as a man. But I'm saying, you know, women, men always get paid more. In my experience, men always get paid more than women. Like I've been a college professor. I even have more experience and, and degrees than a couple guys that were on the faculty but they got the promotion. So that's fine. You know, I'm just saying that having two children gave me the freedom to get an advanced education, to travel, to write, to do a lot. But what if I had had seven children? Well, first of all, just two comments here. I, I used to work for an American company and we had lots of trainings and classes and course, whatever it is, the two for the equality, okay, towards aims towards the equality of men and women. I cannot believe that you living in the U.S. have to uh, undergo all these differences, uh, even though you, you live in the country which promotes it, the equality. I mean, and the no, second no, the is, thing is... Wait a second, mm -hmm. but the thing is that the thing is everybody here has to go to those trainings too. It's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of nonsense that they check off to say that they've trained you. Men will always be men and women will always be women. And... Yeah, I, honestly, I, honestly, I honestly tell you that's not how it is uh, at where I work. Uh, you I haven't looked work. at a woman? Oh, we have a lot of women employees. You, exactly. haven't, you haven't glanced at a woman and your supervisor said, excuse me, I'd like to talk to you about how you're staring at the secretary no. as she walks up the no, stairs. We, we, had, we had never such an issue. Uh, and uh, also, I'm telling you that lots of women are way smarter than men. And, uh, but then again, maybe in previous generations or previous, like in previous centuries, because the woman, uh, a lot more labor was physical, right? Not not like I'm an accountant, a woman next to me is an accountant. We don't like uh, chop wood or something. So a lot more labor was physical. So women weren't able to participate in that labor and heavy. Not because labor. that they weren't, they were, the reason they're not chopping wood because they're at home giving birth. That you know yeah, what the exactly. giving birth is called so labor. They, labor they is called to, giving birth. So yeah, men the only thing men have to the only thing men have to do is have fun during sex, and then they wander off and do whatever the heck they want. But a woman has to always think about the possibility of giving birth, and once. You don't have to think about that so much. Then you can have affairs, you can travel, you can have different friends, you can go out for drinks. I'm just saying, you know, a woman is a victim of her own body. Uh, I, I'm not sure about the victim, really. Um, not victim. I mean, a woman has to think about that whenever she gets together with some guy. A man never has to think about it. He just comes and goes as he wishes. 
and then just pays for an abortion or pays for the baby to be born. I'm just saying that in general, I mean, I like men. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Okay, then. So, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that were once forbidden. For example, Walt Whitman, a very famous American poet, was gay. You know, he was gay, but he's a fabulous poet. You know, should we hold that against him? No. Emily Dickinson, for years, you know, she lived at her father's home in the 19th century, overlooking a graveyard. And she wrote all these poems and put them under her bed, and she never wanted them to be published. And she never got married. So once a person is of a certain age and they're not married yet, well, you might wonder, well, what's what's up with them? So over the years, I didn't find out until later that Emily Dickinson had a lover and they would kind of meet, you know, in the cemetery and hold hands or whatever, whatever lesbians do. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm just saying that forbidden relationships like there's a lot of rules in society and in general it's sometimes easier for men to get around the rules because they have the money and they have the power and they have a car and and they have a watch and they have keys well <laughs> Some of our subscribers have said that I talk too much. Why don't I let that other guy talk some? (laughs) This would be an example of throwing you under the bus and backing over you. So when somebody challenges someone, you say, oh, you threw him under the bus. And if you just keep going on and on and on, like I'm going on and on and on, I not only threw you under the bus, but I backed over you. Hey, my my, my phone is low on charge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard that too. Nine percent left. I, I don't know what's happening here, but because uh, uh, I could, I, I'd like to talk to you more about this, and I have my friend Jack with me, uh, and do you have your friend Mark with you? Yes, Mark. Uh, make this Mark. Yeah, Mary's gone. I don't know where's the Bloody Mary. I mean, uh, maybe we'll see her tomorrow. But uh, anyway, we should somehow get together all our friends in one place. And, okay. Uh, what do you think we should? Call, what are, What do you think we should call this episode? The Bell, and I would just use the cover shot of the Bell. To, I don't know. I I don't know. What do you think? Why don't we just because we didn't talk about the story that we're gonna we can do that maybe no but 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 you said it's hard to read and I said well that's why we read it not because it's easy but because it is hard I I no I like it I really really like it I was just kind of anxious about some of the different Uh, things you had you had a look you you read it yeah I've read it I've I've kind of glanced over it I'm just saying that it's not written in standard English it's not it's written in phonetic. Phonetic. Yeah, it was, so it's, it was written two hundred years ago, and they, I guess they tried to uh, somehow rephrase the English accent, a French accent, in, into English. What they're, what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to let a a non-English reader, for example, you're you're you do speak English, you read it English, but I'm saying you can read it because you're not a native speaker. 
a native speaker like me will have a hard time reading it because it's written for a non-native speaker. But let's read it. Let's read it tomorrow. I want okay. I want to do that. That's episode. fine. It's uh, it's written. It's hard for you to read because it's written for not native speakers. I can't process it. I mean, I'm trying to understand the idea, but I'm getting okay. It. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you. Your first language is not English, although you yeah, do no, speak. No, English. I understand. I understand. It's just funny. My first language okay. is English. So, the story has some dialogue that is written in colloquialisms, just like in Mark Twain's Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Mm. Some of it is written in the vernacular, which is the language of the people at the time. So reading out loud Huckleberry Finn or The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, I can read that because it's written in the vernacular. Okay, this story has some of the conversation, like, <laughs> qu'est-ce que c'est là means, what's that? I can read French, qu'est-ce que c'est là? But the way it's written is, qu'est-ce que lay. It's written... <laughs> for a non-English speaking person. You can read it because you're a non-English speaking person. But, but I don't speak French, it's Chinese to me. It's Greek. <laughs> and so we welcome our listeners back to another exciting and zany episode of Patroma Therapy.